Hello, Texans, and welcome to the podcast. Bob Sosie, voice of the Patriots, is going to be on with us now. He took over for Gil Santos a few years ago, who some of you might know, a lot of you won't, but he did the Patriots games for a long time. He used to do Penn State as well back in the 80s, and I just have a lot of history with Gil Santos and really have a lot of history with the Patriots. I used to live in Boston, and I used to go to some of the games and actually rooted for them. That's right, true confessions time. I want to be very clear on this. I hate the Patriots like poison and have ever since I got into the league, which was 2002 with the Houston Texans. I was at Miami with the Hurricanes before that. You know my story. If you don't, I'm going to tell it to you at some point if you just keep listening to this podcast. But back in the day, I went to Boston University. I rooted for the Patriots. I kind of liked them. Uh, They were pretty bad when I first got to uh, Boston. Then they got good, went to the Super Bowl, got crushed by the Bears. It was so different. I mean, it was a completely different situation then. Their stadium was terrible. I mean, they were kind of a laughingstock franchise in many ways, but they flashed. They went to the Super Bowl in 85, even though they got crushed. It was an impressive run that they had. And then they bottomed out, and Bill Parcells eventually got there. They go to another Super Bowl and lose, and that was Drew Bledsoe and those guys. And I really like that Patriots team with Parcells coaching them and Bledsoe firing bullets downfield. I thought that was a pretty cool team. Uh, And even the first Super Bowl with Brady, I thought it was a good story because there were such heavy underdogs to the Rams, and nobody knew Belichick was going to become who he became. But they won that one, and all of a sudden they became intolerable. And I become a Texan, and I can't stand them. Because, you know, people say, well, you're just jealous. Yes. Okay, I admit it. I'm envious, jealous. I mean, they win a ton. Who wouldn't be? But the attitude, the media. I always say this about the media. And look, I don't include Bob in this group and a few of my other friends up there. But there are a lot of people who, you know, might think they are better than they are because they cover the Patriots. And I'm not talking about the people with the team. But if you cover a team that's going to the Super Bowl almost every year, You're going to get recognition. You're going to get noticed. You're going to rise with that tide. Good for you. I mean, that's what it's all about, right? I mean, if you're Jack Buck and you never get to do the go crazy, folks, go crazy call and several others that he had that were so colossal because the Cardinals were so good, it's not going to be the same for you, right? It's true. It's not going to be the same. You know why Milo Hamilton was not as well known as, say, an Ernie Harwell or maybe he was as well-known as Ernie Harwell, or Vince Scully, or a Jack Buck, or one of those guys, is because, yeah, he did the Braves and Hank Aaron's record-breaking home run on radio, but it's also the TV call you hear for that one. And Milo did a lot of teams that weren't as good, right? And now he did the Astros going to the World Series in 05, but you get my drift here. So uh, it applies to writers as well in many cases. There are many great writers who cover perennial losers. I mean, Cleveland has a lot of good media people who don't get to cover a great team. Don't get to cover a great team. Don't get to cover a 500 team in most cases. Now the Browns are doing well right now at 6-3, and three, but isn't that exactly their record when the Texans went there in 2014 and derailed them? I digress. The pay, I should call the podcast Vander Digress because that's basically what it is the entire time. So the Patriots played in the Super Bowl here in 03. In that season, the Texans hosted them. They played them for the very first time. That game went deep into overtime. I'll never forget it because the occurrence of Adam Vinatieri missing a game winner in overtime, it just doesn't happen very often. And the Texans just could not get into range for Chris Brown. Also that year, so they lost deep in overtime. It was a close loss to a really good team. Also that year, they beat Carolina, a team that would meet the Patriots in NRG Stadium in the Super Bowl. 
to cap that season, and it was one of the great Super Bowls. If you think about it, the Patriots have played in some outstanding Super Bowls. I know the one with the Rams was kind of dull, but at least it was a one-score game. They haven't played in any any Super Bowl that's not a one-score game, and they played in the very first overtime Super Bowl, so good for them. Anyway, I hate them like poison in a healthy sports hate way, all right? I always say this. It's not hate in the regular sense. It's healthy sports hate, and that's where hate really belongs, right? Anyway, this year, they've reinvented themselves with Cam Newton at quarterback. It's not going as well as they want, but they're on the uptick here. They beat the Jets at the buzzer, and then... They beat the Ravens last week on a rain-soaked field in Foxborough. And watch out. Here they come. Noon kick Sunday at NRG Stadium. And Bob Sosi, I like this guy. Like I said, took over for Gil Santos, voice of the Patriots. I usually see him at the Combine, and I did last year just prior to COVID. And it was great to see him. He's one of the last people I've seen in the league, really, out and about in a league event. And that was the last big league event before COVID. So let's hear from Bob. Yeah, Mark, it's funny. I, as you were saying, it, it's good to catch up. I was thinking how much I enjoy catching up with you in person and how I'm going to miss talking to you Sunday at the game mm-hmm. because we'll be at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough calling it remotely. Uh, but uh, we've both been through uh, some challenging times this year, like everybody else with COVID, and as well in a far less important way uh, in calling football for teams that uh, uncharacteristically have struggled uh, for much of this season. How about this? After last year's matchup, Sunday Night Football, big game, Patriots-Texans at NRG. Now at NRG, both teams under 500. It's unbelievable, really. Now, take me through the New England journey, though, in the offseason, because when we last talked, Brady, well, it was like, it wasn't going to happen. He wasn't going to be back. But everything that's happened since, getting Cam Newton, what you thought was going to happen at quarterback versus what did, take me through some of that, Bob. Oh, yeah, absolutely, because when Brady made it official inside with Tampa Bay at that point in time, everything looked like Jarrett Stidham was going to be the guy for the Patriots. All the signs were pointing to the Patriots, like the fourth-round pick out of Auburn by way of Baylor, of course, uh, played uh, in Texas in high school and then went to Waco for the start of his college career, that he was going to be the guy that would at, at least be the favorite to take over the quarterback position. They re-signed Brian Hoyer, of course, the former Texan, for a third stint in New England and said that there was going to be a competition at the position. Uh, But again, all the signs pointed to Jarrett Stidham. And with no spring on the field, you know, there was no way for reporters to see how either would perform, no way for the coaches to see how they could perform on the field. But there was something that, you know, in the end led the Patriots to continue to explore the availability of Cam Newton. There are reports that they were always interested in Cam, but of course it ultimately came down to, I think, a no-lose situation for the Pats in July where they could sign a former MVP, a guy coming off a couple of injury-affected seasons, at a bargain basement rate. They got him for the veterans minimum with incentives to max out around $7 million on a one-year deal. And Cam Newton came in to the organization after signing his contract, and I think it was a very, very pleasant surprise in terms of his energy, his enthusiasm, the way his teammates gravitated toward him. Uh, so much was said about his leadership, and it was such a strange thing to go to training camp practices and, and watch his behavior on the field. In a, he's a leader in a much different way than Tom Brady was. Cam's more of a cheerleader. Cam's mm-hmm. very uh, vocal from the time he gets out on the field until the time he leaves throughout a practice. And players seem to be responding to it. And I think it took away from some of the attention that otherwise would have been paid to the quarterback 
who wasn't there mm. and was in Tampa Bay, speaking of Brady. And the Patriots start well. They, and it's a different kind of team, Mark, as you know. They, they start well by running it, and Cam is running it predominantly against Miami. And then they have a tough loss against Seattle, but he's able to throw the ball downfield. He comes down to a last play at the one-yard line. The Patriots don't get in. But everything, again, at that point in time, being written and said about Cam Newton, for the most part, was all positive. And then he tests positive for COVID. And it's a string of, of negatives for the Patriots thereafter. And I don't mean to be glib about that, mm-hmm. but they go through this losing streak for the first time since uh, 2002. Uh, they, they, they fall on hard times after their worst start since 2000, when they lose four in a row. Uh, they bounce back after a, a late fumble against Buffalo, and they start to get back on the winning track a couple of weeks ago. And suddenly Newton, who during that losing streak, caught a lot of criticism in, in local sports talk circles because of the COVID case, people thought maybe he maybe exposed himself irresponsibly, and I don't think there's any evidence of that, but that nonetheless was one of the narratives. And his poor play that followed when he returned, mechanics were inconsistent, a lot of turnovers, including the fumble against Buffalo. But now it's starting to shift back in the other direction because he's played turnover-free, and he's played much better the last two weeks, and the Patriots have come up with back-to-back wins. A tough one against the Jets, but a very important and impressive one, I think, against the Ravens. Well, Bob Sosie, by the way, joining us, the voice of the New England Patriots. I really was hoping the Texans would do what the Patriots are doing right now, where you get to four and five, you have a chance to get the 500 with six to go, and who knows what happens after that. And I wanted to ask you this, and I, I hate to go outside the building, but how are the fans in New England taking all of this? The sub-500 year, the Bills and the Dolphins doing well. I guess some of it was to be expected to a degree, but how is it going over, Bob? Yeah, Mark, I think, you know, you, you, you look at it two ways. There's the fans' reaction that is vocalized on sports talk airwaves. And then there are the fans who have, I think, a healthier perspective. Yeah, yeah. And, Familiar. You know, they're, they're, we've gone through this uh, autopsy over the course of the last couple of weeks with media and fans alike evaluating and criticizing the Patriots draft classes from the recent past. And in, 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 in fairness, they're, they're, they have every right to. And, 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 and I can point to a couple of drafts where the Patriots you know, came out of the 2016 draft, for example, 2017, and didn't set themselves up for the next chapter post-Brady. Uh, and with an aging roster the last couple of years, mm-hmm. we're not positioned well to transition and, and continue to be you know, the contending a Super Bowl contending team we've become accustomed to. But it all boils down to the fact that we're, we're completely spoiled. What the Patriots are experiencing right now is what everybody else in the NFL generally goes through mm. when you have an aging roster and, and you start to turn over talent and you lose your franchise quarterback. And in the case of the Pats, it's been Tom Brady for 20 years. And, you know, I think that, you, you, again, you, you look at the, those who uh, are vocalizing their feelings. They've been spoiled by the success I think uh, you know a lot of it is driven by the media narratives in this marketplace. You know, uh, having <laughs> having grown up in this area and, yep. and been educated on uh, on the sports talk in New England, what it's like, and and I think that you know again, when you look at things in proper perspective, the, the organization it's, it's like the old cliche, Mark. It's never as good as it seems. It's never 
as bad as it seems. And so those first two games, for example, the win over Miami, the loss to Seattle, as good as it seemed at the time, the Patriots had a lot of flaws and a lot of issues. And when they went through the losing streak and, and people were wondering about, you know, whether this team should be tanking and, and try to improve draft position by intentionally losing games, which you heard from a large segment of fans the last couple of weeks, you know, never as bad as it seems. I think the Patriots are still in a pretty good place, all things considered. They've gotten back on the right track. They're starting to find some roles for some people. Sunday's game is a extremely important you don't want to set back if you're new england obviously and i think you know you get to 500 then you can start entertaining possibilities of a playoff run they've got their work cut out for them but i don't think they're that far away from being at least a playoff contending team not just this year but again being well positioned for the future bob sosie joining us voice of the patriots all right so we talked about newton and edelman's trying to come back now but who else is what people to watch players to watch for new england particularly on offense because it's not like uh, these are names we know, many of them. I know Rex Burkhead and some of the other backs, but tell me who's doing well for the Patriots on that side of the football anyway. Yeah, Mark, when I talk about too, the criticism the Patriots have faced for the drafts, a lot of it is due to who hasn't been playing well or who hasn't been available at wide receiver and tight end in particular. Nikhil Harry, number one pick from last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been largely unavailable the last two seasons, his first two years in the NFL, and not the player that D.K. Metcalf and A.J. Brown have been. And so that's been a root of the, a lot of the criticism for Belichick and the Patriots. And they were in dire need of somebody to emerge from that wide receiver class when Edelman went down with the knee injury. Well, that guy has been Jacoby Myers, a high school quarterback. He was recruited to NC State as a quarterback. His true freshman year, that's the position he was listed at. He had knee surgery at the end of that year. And then about a week before his redshirt freshman year began, NC State converted him to wide receiver. Not a fast guy. Uh, You're not blessed with exceptional athleticism, but he has a knack of getting open. The awareness of spacing, especially against zone defenses that a former quarterback would have, good hands, tough kid, uh, took some shots the other night from the Ravens, and he has been a spark for this team. He's given Newton somebody that he can go to as a security blanket of sorts other than the running backs. And when I speak of the running backs, that's another area where the Patriots, I think, can point to a young player emerging, and that's Damian Harris, first and foremost. 300-yard games, including one the other night, and he was playing with a chest injury that kept him questionable all week long in terms of his availability. Harris runs extremely hard. He's quick to the hole. And then because of that, when when he encounters contact, His style is such that he's able to break a lot of tackles and pick up yards after contact. And so he's been a revelation of sorts for this team, along with Jacoby Myers. You look at offensively, those are two guys. I think the strength of the team, too, is the offensive line. Tight end position, Ryan Izzo's been the one guy at that position. It's not, these are not the days of Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez playing tight end for the Patriots Mm -hmm. or Gronk and Martellus Bennett earlier in my broadcasting days. And then defensively, the strength of the team is still the secondary. And J.C. Jackson uh, has been able to prove uh, to, I think, the rest of the football world, although he got beat a couple of times against the Jets. Nonetheless, without Stephon Gilmore, who's missed the last three games, the Jackson is a a 1A cornerback, if not a number one cornerback on most other teams. He's had an interception 
now in five consecutive games. That's a franchise record. He leads the league with six after five picks last year. And even when he had trouble against the Jets, he still bounced back to make a key play in that game. And I'll turn things around with a pick in the fourth quarter. Had an interception the other night. He's the best cover corner right now they have if Gilmore's obviously not out there. And I think he's as good as just about any other cornerback in the league, save for three or four other guys around the NFL. Uh, so they're, they're strong in the back end. Devin McCourty is still a solid leader on that defense, but they've had a lot of issues in the front seven. Bob Selsey joining us, voice of the Patriots. All right, so in the AFC East, the Bills and Dolphins are both doing well. Tell me what you think, doing what you do, Bob, tell me what you think their prospects are to go to the postseason, advance into the postseason, through it, maybe get to the Super Bowl, maybe not. I know there are a lot of good teams out there, particularly the Kansas City Chiefs and the Pittsburgh Steelers. But tell me about the Bills and the Dolphins. Well, Mark, you saw the Bills last year in the postseason. And, you know, that's the kind of team they have been when they added Stephon Diggs. You know, to me, it all came down to the the same thing that ultimately – uh, led to their demise in that game. What kind of decisions does Josh Allen make? What are they going to get out of the quarterbacks? But the talent is certainly there, but it, it all hinges on how he performs. How, how consistent is he going to be from one game to the next, from one half to the next? And there have been stretches this year when Josh Allen has been terrific for the Bills a couple of games ago, certainly. But then against uh, the Arizona Cardinals the other day, you know, it, it looks like, okay, this team is really on a roll. And, and Allen, it, Allen is the guy the Bills were hoping he would be. And there's no way the Patriots or the Dolphins are going to be able to catch them. And then, of course, the game ends with the Hale Murray, an incredible play by the former Texan DeAndre Hopkins uh, on the throw from, from Kyler Murray. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's in that case, okay, you know, this, this is a breakdown for Miami. And even the Patriots, you know, if the Patriots get back to 500, they still have a couple of division games left against those teams head-to-head. And their schedule lightens up a bit, whereas Buffalo's, I think, it's, it gets uh, progressively more difficult. And I think Miami continues to play extremely well. And the Dolphins are doing it, by and large, with their defense. And they're doing it, too, with, I think, a young coach who has been an exception to the conventional thought rule about Bill Belichick assistance and, uh, you know, those who came off of his tree because Brian Flores is his own man in Miami. And although he's incorporated a lot of aspects of, you know, the so-called Patriot way, a number of his assistants, including defensive coordinator, Josh Boyer came from the Patriot staff. They've helped to develop the core of their defense through free agency. Thanks to the Patriots, Kyle Van Noy, Elandon Roberts, a couple of guys on that team, some other expats playing for Miami, but that's a team that's really taken on the toughness and the integrity of Brian Flores. He's such an impressive young coach and such an impressive person. And I think that, you know, Miami right now is, is the hottest team in the division. They're playing extremely well on defense. They're still, you know, they're still building offensively, but with two at quarterback, you know, maybe the ceiling is a bit higher uh, than than it would have been with Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback. Because I think with Fitz, Fitz, as you know, you kind of get, uh, you know, you get a streaky guy. Mm-hmm. It's it's like Allen, one half, one game, he's going to produce Fitz magic, Fitz magic, and then the next game, you know, he, he's going to throw some balls that are going to go the other way, some of those fifty fifty balls. So I, I think Miami's a real threat to overtake the Bills in the division, and they're both going to be difficult for the Patriots to try to catch. But I think if, if the Pats can win, and I think these next two weeks are. are, are Vital to them, obviously. They're running out of time. They got to go to Houston. They have issues with Deshaun Watson. It's, he's, he's so good. And uh, you know the Texans get familiar. It's like a division foe. And you know this is not this is not a juggernaut that's going down to Houston. This is a four and five football team. 
you know, if you rely on the old Parcells words that uh, you are what your record says you are, I think the Ray, the Texans have to be looking at this game and saying, you know, this is a game for us to get back on the winning track. And then, like I say, you know, with uh, with Kyler Murray in Arizona coming in, that's a big game for the Patriots. And if and if they come out of this two game stretch in good shape, you know, then maybe they can handle the head-to-head competition and, and find themselves in that mix as well. I love that Parcells quote when the Texans have a good record. I always bring it up. When they have a bad record, I try <laughs> yeah. to put that one on the shelf uh, because they're 2-7 and seven right now, Bob. So tell me this. Uh, prior to the season, maybe let's go back to the offseason, and, and if I told you, look, you're nine games into an NFL season, right, you're week 10, week 11, and it's still going strong. And there have been positives, but you really haven't missed anything virtually. Would you be surprised? How do you think it's going through the pandemic that the league is able to conduct a season? We have a long way to go, but so far, so good. Yeah, Mark, you're absolutely right. I would be surprised. And I'm, and I'm surprised today. And I'm especially surprised that you know the league has been able to do it considering the situations that number one, the Titans encountered and number two, the Patriots experienced. And, you know, at the time I thought that the Patriots should not have gone to Kansas city to play that game. And many of the Patriots thereafter felt that they should not go to Kansas city to play that game. And if you go back to the situation uh, for for those who, who may, may not recall a lot of the particulars, you know, the Patriots had Cam Newton test positive and then uh, as uh, more and more players started to test positive, including Stefan Gilmore that week, uh, the Patriots were basically in limbo for a couple of days, shut down the facility, uh, didn't have practice over the weekend before uh, being scheduled to travel to Kansas City uh, for a game on, uh, and uh, it was scheduled to be a game on, on, on Sunday. And what ended up happening is that uh, you know, the league uh, essentially had the Patriots get on a plane the day of game. And, uh, you know, with the game pushed back to Monday, uh, the Patriots awoke in their hotel early in the morning. They had another round of testing. And then they took two planes out to Kansas City day of game. One of the planes had a group of uh, 20 players. And Gilmore was on that plane, by the way. And I don't think his test had been uh, had come up positive yet. And now as, as I sort through my memory. Mm-hmm. So the Patriots go out to Kansas City, and they have two planes. One of them has a, about 20 players and personnel who were at risk. They were in close contact with Newton uh, while he was positive. And they go to Kansas City. They had requested a larger locker room space. They didn't get it. Uh, they play that game. They play very competitively. They lose with some uncharacteristic mistakes, uh, time management, some bad decisions by quarterback Brian Hoyer at the end of the first half and a little bit later in the second half before he was lifted, uh, and fly back to New England that night. And then all of a sudden, you know, after that experience, there's an outbreak on the team. Gilmore is, uh, is among the first to test positive in the next wave of cases for the Patriots. And they basically go two weeks. Uh, their bye week is shifted from – uh, you know, the following week to that ensuing weekend, the Denver game is pushed back. And the Patriots during this two-week stretch basically don't practice. And then they had one full pad of practice before they played the Broncos. And they go out and they lose a game, a mistake uh, play game mm-hmm. at home. And, you know, at that, during that stretch, I was thinking, no way are they going to be able to continue this season without some interruptions. And yet they have, even as more and more players have tested positive. I think back to the Titans situation, they came out of a similar situation yep. and won back-to-back games. So mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm, I'm very pleasantly surprised at where we are today, that the fact that the teams have been able, for the most part, to assemble you know, en- enough of, of their rosters, even when guys have tested positive. When the Patriots played the, the Bills, 
For example, they had three tight ends, including a practice squatter, who were unavailable because one of them tested positive and two of them were in close contact. But fortunately, another tight end, his wife was pregnant, so he was away from the group for a couple of days. And while she was in labor, he, he was with her, of course, waiting for the birth of the baby. And then because he was away from all those guys who were exposed uh, to Dawson Knox, he was Tyler Croft, was able to play in the game against the Patriots. And, of course, he played well. Wow. So, I mean, that's incredible stuff. It's it, amazing stories are coming out of this season like that. And I think this, and you're probably with me, that medical officials from around the country should talk to NFL teams because they're testing 100, 150 people a day, and they have a pretty good understanding of how the spread occurs within groups of people, don't you think? Yeah, you know, and, and they have the advantage of the resources they've put. And that's one of the things that's really stood out to me is the amount of money and thought and the extra steps the teams have taken uh, to make this possible. Well, you know, you, you're, you're around the team, I think, more closely than I am as we've, as we've compared notes off air. You know, I, I do not have access uh, as a Tier 1 or Tier uh, 2 uh, media member. So I, I don't have any uh, person-to-person contact with the team whatsoever. But yeah, I'm in the facility once a week to record a television show, and then, of course, we show up for the games. And there's still an opportunity to at least look around and observe and, and to see you know, whether it's plexiglass mm-hmm. that's been installed, hand sanitizers just about everywhere, uh, the tracing devices that the players and staff are wearing to ensure that proper social distancing is made, seeing where meetings are being conducted. There's a, there's a great piece that was done on the Patriots website, kind of an inside look at what the organization has had to do uh, to, to stage the season, make it possible during the pandemic. And, uh, you know, it's so impressive to me what the organizations have done. And I think the league is the teams themselves have given uh, the, the league the opportunity to make this season possible, but it all comes down. And I don't mean to get off on a soapbox or take this out of the sports realm, but it comes down to they followed science. They've done things logically. And yes, you know, the, the resources, they're not available to most in the private sector or even in the public sector for that, that matter, the NFL being the multi-billion dollar industry that it is and these teams being worth what they are, you know, they've been able to keep a product on the field and maintain their television programming because of all those resources. But to me, you know, it, it, they, they followed what advisories, what, what guidance they were getting from the medical people who were, you know, behind the scenes with each team and advising the league and the players association. And thus far it's worked out. It certainly has, and people need entertainment. The NFL's doing that job, uh, but you're right. Resources, tremendous, and a lot of information is going to come out of this season, and we'll just find out more as it unfolds. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate the time, and I look forward to the game on Sunday. Hey, Mark, my pleasure. Thank you so much. That's Bob Sosi, voice of the New England Patriots. Great to have him on and great to have you listening to this podcast today. I want to thank you for being a part of it. Get all the other podcasts wherever you got this one or wherever fine podcasts are available. Again, Texans and Patriots noon. Salute to service day on Sunday, November 22nd. Have a great day, everyone, and go Texans.